0: Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse number one. Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, Lord, we love you, we thank you for your word, and we ask your blessing upon our service tonight. Lord, I pray that you control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I beg you for your mercy and your grace, and please work. Lord, may your word be a help to us and genuinely change us and help us in our walk with you. Please meet the needs that are here. and Lord, if there is anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, we pray for that conviction and that drawing tonight, that perhaps even this evening, they would place their faith in Christ. Again, may you be glorified, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As he finishes up Matthew chapter six, he was dealing with an amazing section there in the Sermon on the Mount of, and in one sense, it dealt with our approach in light of truth to material things. What were to seek? And, and he says, how you can't serve God and mammon. You can't you can't live for the material things and the money side of this world and for God. He says you can't do it. And he's driving home a point that once, once you have truth, once you know what it's all about, you. Start First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those things will be taken care of. So it was our approach in relation to truth and how we and how we address material things or the materialistic part of this world. And really, he's 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 as he comes into chapter seven, he covers a different aspect of how we handle truth now. But in this way, he's trying to show us how we handle truth in relation to other people and the relationships that we have. Because it certainly can be misused. There's a lot of ways that you can be right in principle, but so very wrong in how you are approaching it with the criticalness. And so he's dealing with that now. Not before it was material things in truth. Now he's dealing with truth and how we respond to people. And again, this verse, uh, this first verse of our text, anyhow, is without a doubt the most popular verse in Scripture among the lost. It's the one that they love to quote. It's the one verse they know in the Bible. They can't tell you hardly any other verse in the Bible other than Matthew chapter seven and verse one. It is, It is. of course, it's misused, and we're going to see that today. Um, We live in a world who doesn't want absolutes, who doesn't want to be told that, that things are moral and some things are immoral. They want to be able to determine morality on their own. So this is their one verse to grab hold of, which they think allows them the freedom to choose... What they believe is right or what they believe is wrong, on their own, without any interference from anything else. It's not what this verse is dealing with at all. This verse is not dealing with absolutes. There are certain things. There are certain things that are absolutely wrong. Period. They're sin. They're immoral. The homosexual crowd likes to use this verse to say, "You can't tell me it's wrong. Don't judge me. That's what your Bible says." No, what you're missing the point, and I'm, going to, I'm getting ahead of myself already, that's already been judged. I am not determining the morality of that action. The Creator has who has given absolutes. That's not what this is dealing with, and we're going to see that. <clears throat> so we will look at that question of what does this verse mean? And really, what does this section? It, don't, it is an important section. It's certainly one that is needed today. I think it's one that's needed in in, in in strongly in our independent fundamental Baptist churches. And it will help not only help churches, this will help families. Um, it shows how we need to use truth with the right attitude. Not being critical. How truth is first given so you can see your own heart and your own faults. So that in turn, once you're able to address that you can properly be a help to someone else who's struggling <clears throat> it shows us that we are to treat truth with a, a measure of respect not not with with a with a, a, a reverence almost we're going to say as we get into especially verse 6 there not to deal with it credulously as as if it's some, as if it's nothing, you know, uh, um, easy to believe, gullible about it. Um, just using it again as if it's not that important. It's incredibly important. So anyhow, let's let's dive into this text. Let's dive into the first couple of verses here and deal with it. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Again, what we're seeing here is truth has not been given to you so that you can be critical of others. Sometimes, all of a sudden, when we we actually have a, a knowledge and we gain truth and an understanding of something, sometimes our pride will get in the way and we begin to use that truth in a very wrong way. We begin to use it to be critical of others who, don't, uh, who maybe are without that truth or ignoring that truth or, or don't know it or don't meet our standard or whatever the issue might be. But first, before I get into that, I do need to deal with what the verse is not teaching. How it is misused. How the day we live in... You have to understand, the day I, I, we live in, it's, it's no surprise this is such a popular verse because we live in a day where literally morality is hated. It's almost despised. Don't you tell me what's right. Don't you tell me what's wrong. Uh, I want to choose my own path. It's pride-based. They they don't want to think about a creator. Because again, I don't have time to make that argument. I have a whole other sermon on that. But if there's a creator, the implications are enormous. That means there are absolutes. There's no way around it. But we live in a day when we want... Uh, what's the word? Situational ethics. Well, your situation can determine what's right or wrong. No, it doesn't. They're absolutes. But again, they love to quote this verse. This is like, let me give a good example of this. John the Baptist. He's a pretty good preacher, wasn't he? He was preaching against the sin of Herod and who he took to be his wife. He wasn't going against this verse. Did he make a judgment? He certainly did. He was proclaiming boldly. You should not have your brother's wife. It's wrong. He made a judgment, didn't he? He did. And he didn't violate this verse at all. He did not. Not at all. That's not what this verse is dealing with. Matter of fact, according to the Bible, there's many things that we are to judge. John seven twenty four, 24. And that, that, that really is a great verse. We are to judge a righteous judgment. We're to judge things righteously. Jesus was speaking those words. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15, which are spiritual, we're to judge all things. We have to have a measure of... Dis- Another word for judgment is discernment. A judge has to discern who's right and who's wrong. We have to have discernment to actually say that when you look at your life, you don't need any discernment as determining what's right and wrong is wrong. It, it, it's, it's absurd. That's not what this is dealing with. Again, so Christ told us we are to judge, but to judge righteously. 1 Corinthians says, you know, dealing with those, uh, those who are spiritual should be judging all things. 1 Corinthians 5.12, what, what Paul says is, is coming to the conclusion of the sin that was in the church. He, he let them know, you have to judge the sin that's in the church. We can see civil judges are in Scripture. So the idea that this verse somehow means that when uh, the Bible... Now, granted, we don't get determined morality. We don't. God does. Amen. Those are things that He has determined are immoral. Therefore, they are. You don't get to change it, and I don't get to change it. They're wrong, because the Creator said so. The reality is, it's a sin not to let a brother know in love that he's in sin. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. This is a good verse right here. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Notice the punctuation. He's going to give an example of how you hate him. Thou shalt not in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. This is an incredible verse. This, this, is, this is dealing with the need that, that when you are seeing a brother who it, it has something wrong, that you're just going to ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. That's not loving your brother. That's hating. That, that, that's you being expedient because you don't want to deal with a, with a confrontational situation, which we don't like. We don't, so in choose. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand. That's him. That's, no, and, and by the way, it, it's how you, and we're going to see, it's how you approach this. There's something wrong with a person. I can tell you right now, you have a wrong heart. You say, yes, I love to do that. I can tell you right now, you're doing it wrong. There, there's something wrong with that, horribly wrong with that. For me not to speak the truth in love is wrong. As advised, it would show I more hate the person than I love them. It shows I'm more worried about my own standing than the eternal consequences of the other person's actions. I'm trying to let them know this is a wrong direction. This is, a, this is not the way you want to go. There are those in this room, you've been to my house where I pleaded with you, this is a wrong direction. So what is the verse dealing with? It is dealing with something that certainly is important. That critical, that fault finding attitude towards others. It is condemning those. This verse is condemning those who misuse the truth that has been given to them to actually hurt others. To use that sword in a way to really hurt somebody. We've all seen it done. Think of the context here. Much of what he was doing in the Sermon on the Mount was deconstructing the pseudo-Judaism that had been established. He is attacking almost every single part of the Sermon on the Mount is addressing one of the areas uh, 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 that, that either the Sadducees or the Pharisees had established in the Judaism of the day that he was trying to break down. That wasn't right. And he's, now he's getting onto the self-righteous criticalness of the Pharisees of the day, who had misused truth, this verse is condemning those who misuse truth to make themselves look good while they're judging others. It deals much with our attitude towards others. It deals with the motive for your critique. John Stott said this about this verse. I'll quote him. He so said, this verse is teaching. It's not that we cannot assess critically, but a, that it's wrong to judge harshly. Again, he's on the Sermon on the Mount. He's dealing with the Pharisees. Their self-righteous attitude uh, toward themselves and, and how they looked at others. I mean, you can think of the parable Christ gives later on of, uh, of the two men coming to pray. The publican falling on his face. God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. The self-righteous Pharisee, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. Did the Pharisee have truth? He had a measure of truth. He did. He didn't know how to use it. They judged others, but it was in no way to help. It was to hurt. You can find this in different people, those who always like to point out failures. You know, you can see it. Did you see how Daniel McGovern and his family started cutting grass this past summer? It was horrible. We need Roy to get back here and do this. (laughs) Stop, Roy. It's ten times better now. It's my son you're talking about. Or being critical of that person who decided to make macaroni and cheese in a huge pot and bring it to church. That's criticalness right there. Stop it, Roger. You can't even make cereal, so I know you didn't do it. Listen, if you want to find fault in others, it's easy. It is. You want to find fault in me? I can give you a list. Just ask. If you want to find fault in your spouse, you can find it. It's easy. It's dealing with that attitude. You're always looking for. I mean, could you imagine Arlene? (laughs) She has to protect herself against this so much. It'd be so easy to find so much fault in Bob. Oh, look at that. The little loving tap. Your attention with the truth, your intention with the truth is not to be a help. It's not you looking at your own heart and life. It's simply to use it to your advantage. And as it talks here, the same critical spirit you have will come back to you. You're going to reap what you are sowing. That will take place. That same criticalness, just wait. It's going to come back to you. God will judge you accordingly. This is one reason you better think about this because you better think of how much we all need grace and mercy from God and you had better show it to others. Again, you can think of the parable Christ gave of the man who was forgiven an amazing amount of debt, a debt he could never pay back. When I preached through it, I can't remember the amount, but it was a ridiculous sum of money. I mean, it was like $100 million even in our day. I mean, just ridiculous. He could never pay back. It was forgiven him. He finds a guy that owed him money, was, and that guy owed him a, 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 nothing, nothing compared to his, but a substantial amount, I think it was three months' worth of pay, if I remember right. And, and the guy has him thrown in debtor's prison. He was just forgiven of this enormous debt, and he failed to show compassion and grace on others. And again, God measured him to the same extent he, 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 he treated others. It will come back to you. God did not give us truth so we can criticize others. We are commanded to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. It's not to avoid the truth. We are to speak it. But we're to do it in love to be a help. There are several reasons I want to give why people tend to be, to criticize others. Because it's a problem we all can have. And I I think we need to have some understanding behind it. Let me give, I got one, two, three, four, five, six of those. I will only take 15 minutes on each one. Criticism boosts our own self-image. It does. When you're criticizing others, it it makes yourself feel better. Pointing out someone else's failure and tearing them down just makes you seem a little bit better in your own eyes. It adds to your pride. It adds to ego. Number two, criticism, the fact is it's often enjoyed by our flesh. There's a tendency in human nature to take pleasure in hearing and sharing bad news, isn't there? Reveling in the shortcomings of others. I mean, you could just think when Peter got out out of the boat and he sank, you can hear all the others. Oh, man, I knew he was going to fall. Criticism, number three, criticism makes us feel that our own lives are better than the person who failed. Again, it just builds on our pride. Going directly against what Scripture teaches us about our need to help others, less, there we go. Criticism, uh, uh, number four, criticism helps us justify the decisions we have made And the things we have done throughout our lives. We rationalize our decisions and act by pointing out failures in others. Number five. Criticism points out to our friends just how strong we are. Look how good I am. Criticism gives us good feelings because our rigid beliefs, our strong lives are proven again by our brother's failure. You're setting yourself up for disaster. That's all you're doing. You're setting yourself up for a really hard fall. Number six. Criticism is certainly an outlet for hurt and revenge. Well, you don't understand. This person deserves it. Subconsciously or even consciously, we tend to think, Listen, that person hurt me. They deserve this. So we criticize. So we, we wait for that person who has, who, who has failed in something, and we're, we're dealing with it a genuine failure. All right? A, a genuine failure. Something that's real. And too often, though, that's just when we want to step, that's just when we want to squish them. I knew it. See that? I knew that was coming. And we got to be careful because we all have tendencies towards that way. <clears throat> and we need to be wise with what we do with with truth. I, I remember I was in a service, and I won't get into the details of it. And my family was there, and. The service had ended, and they had different people speak during the service. It was a special service, and different people uh, had spoke. And one of them was a, was, a, was a teenage girl who had spoken the service. And I listened. I heard nothing inappropriate or wrong. It just seemed it only spoke for about three minutes. And uh, uh, it w- seemed, seemed fine. I, I, I didn't catch anything off or anything like that. But the service had ended. And I was sitting off to this side several feet back. It was a much, much bigger church. And I watched, as soon as the last day men went, I watched the pastor go straight over to that teenager. And I don't know what was said. I don't know what she did. She might have did something wrong or she wasn't supposed to. I don't know. Nothing was said inappropriately, anything at all. I do know that. And... I sat there and I watched as in front of the entire church. Now, people are moving. They can't hear. There's no microphone on. But just up on the platform, like if I was standing here and had the teenage girl right there, and you, you could just see the attack. And then you see the tears coming down. And I looked over. Mary was next to me. And I said, look at that. I said, he just lost her. That's all he did. He just lost her. You don't use truth in a humiliating way. You don't. That was abusive, inappropriate, and wrong. <clears throat> so, look where he goes with this in Matthew chapter 7. This, this is what gives us the understanding of the verse. verse is. <clears throat> verses 3 to 5. He says, and why, he's teaching on this now. This is, and this is where we get understanding of how we use truth right. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? So here's one that's critical. Look what's going on with you, and, you know, and they're just tearing down and says, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote that's in thine eye, and behold the beam that is in thy own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So there's a point here. Instead of using truth to criticize others, the first thing you do with truth is you look at self. That's the first thing it's given for. It's for you. It's for your heart. As a result of truth, we should always be looking at our own heart first to see what we need to deal with. And the first thing we all need to be dealing with is our own heart. And so he deals with the image of a beamy or something that's large in, in, in this person who's critical's eye, but yet he has this small little splinter in the other person's eye, and that's what he's all worried about, but he doesn't notice his own life. And he's not dealing with... Many times we tend to think this as somebody who's in really, really big sin is critical of others. That, that's not what he's dealing with. Let's face it, that just rarely happens. People who are in really, really big sin... They usually want everything all right. They're not the ones usually going to be critical. But he is dealing with, in context here, a major sin. Self-righteousness. Pride. The one that blinds us. The one that, uh, that prevents us from seeing our own wrong and our own error and our own faults. We just can't imagine that it's actually us. you got the beam out, but yet you can see what's wrong with everybody else. This is dealing with sin based on pride. And listen, until you humble yourself and see your own wickedness, you will, not be clearly, uh, you will not be able to clearly see to help anybody else. Your motive will be wrong. Your judgment will lack sincerity. Your judgment will lack compassion. You will lack wisdom. Like you said, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thy own eye. Get your own heart right first. Then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. He's laying down how we're to use truth. One, you deal with your own heart. Then you can use it to be a help in somebody else's life. Again, once you begin to see your own wickedness, You begin to deal with it. It's then you're in a place that you can properly help somebody else. Listen, this is important. Understand how this works. It's only then when you recognize your own wicked, sinful condition can you effectively help somebody else. Why? You're going to approach it with much more compassion. You're going to approach it not with a self-righteous, critical attitude about it, You're going to be like, listen, I got the same flesh. This is wrong. I know what it would do to me. Or I've been there. It's presenting truth in love. Who says? Listen, if you would just get the self-righteous, then you could. Now it's possible you can effectively use truth as it was intended to be a help to others. Because there's a lot that's done in, in whether it's rebellion, whether it's ignorance or truth or whatever it might be that people do need help with. We have a sinful nature. The Bible doesn't command us, as we saw in Leviticus chapter 17, to be quiet. It's not. It's how you approach it. It's how you're using truth, not using truth to elevate yourself. Parents, be careful of this with your children. Don't always be critical. Don't always run them down. Man, look for the things you can praise your kids for. That times, if if, if all they hear from you is all they do wrong, and all they do wrong, and just the criticalness, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Let them know what they're doing Right. Again, when we begin to get the beam out of our own eye, when we begin to use truth in our own heart and life, know what it shows us? Again, the closer you get to God, what do we always say? And it's true. Usually the closer we get to God as we're learning truth and growing, we realize how far away we actually are, don't we? That's truth. Isn't that amazing how that works? That's what gives you the right approach when you're dealing with others. It's not that they don't need to be dealt with. It does. But now it gives you the right approach. To speak the truth in love. You know, it's kind of like how Christ did with the woman at the well. Incredible wisdom. (laughs) Really, it was. He didn't say, woman, don't you talk to me until you go leave that man. Go on, you're in Get out. I don't have time for you. I know what you're doing. It wasn't what he did. Did he deal with the situation? Oh, he did. He gave her truth in love. Do you know what he wanted to do? Not prove a point, but help. The Lord truly desires us to be help to each other with things we struggle with. I mean, you can think of Galatians 6.1. one: ye who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Meekness. Bible talks how faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes you have to do it and by, there's something wrong if you love it. I'm serious. There's something wrong. When I am not kidding. when I have to when I have to deal with I i have to deal with a sin issue like that and approach it, oh, stomach is just wrenching. And then by the way, Know what, else? know what else we need to remember? Is when, like uh, uh, Galatians 6, you who are a spiritual restorer, such a one in a spirit of meekness, the goal is to restore. That's what it is. Not to destroy. It's to restore. Don't forget, you could fall away just like that. That could be you the one who needs to be restored. And by, well, You know, we, can, we, can, we, we might not word it this way because we know better because we have our spiritual, theological talk. But we sort of think it's like they don't deserve it. You know, they, they reject it. And they got what they deserve. What is the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. What that doesn't mean, don't go the other extreme with this at all, that's, that's what happened with a... I'm not going to give the title of the book. I don't want people to read it. I remember I read that book when I was getting furious at it. I think, I think there was one book written by a popular preacher that did so much to destroy what was right and holy. That doesn't mean, as we see in 1 Corinthians 5, that a church ever tolerates sin. We do not. We don't. Those who are seeking for repentance, we help. We try and restore them. But we don't say, it's just fine, come on and do whatever you want to do. That ain't happening. It's not right. Then let me come on to let let me deal with the principle he dealt with in verse six as he tied this in with it. Give not that which is holy unto dogs. He's still dealing with truth in how we respond to it and how we deal with it. He dealt with it before people. He's still dealing with an aspect here before people in truth. This really does help us a lot when we are witnessing or or, or talking out there to, to use wisdom. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs either cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. So here anyway, you've got to use wisdom. Not to be credulous, not to be disrespectful with truth. We are to discern. We have a tremendous respect and a value on what we have and what's been given to us. We're not to use it to criticize others or to make our ourself look more important or better. We're use it to change our life and to be a genuine help in others to help them change and draw closer to Christ. And so he uses an analogy here, that makes sure we're not we're not just we're we're not just taking these things and casting them before dogs and before swine. And again, you can't think of dogs here like in America like we think of dogs. All right, it's not the same thing. It was identical, and like in New Guinea, just like here, dogs were a dirty animal. They they would be in in New Guinea. You didn't you, there were dogs around there, but you didn't have them as pets. They weren't in your house. They were dirty animals. That's how they looked at them. And, and of course, we had the pigs there, and and the the pigs that were there, oh, man, watching the meat, they would use the coconut shells is what they would eat. They'd have a little bit of white around the coconut shell, and they would throw them down to them, and then watching all the pigs just mulling around there, just nasty as anything. It was muddy ground, and it was just just filthy to watch. Listen, you wouldn't take, you wouldn't take, while the pigs were eating there, you wouldn't take your wedding ring and just toss it in there. You wouldn't, unless you're mad at your spouse, I guess, I, I don't know. Maybe then you might do that. but Because it has some value to you. You wouldn't put that down there. So use wisdom even when it comes to truth. Be careful of those who just want to mock. Don't get sucked into that. Those who are just there that, that have no desire to hear truth whatsoever, they're, they're just there to mock. Well, you don't give it to them to trample underneath their feet. And our, our current culture certainly loves to trample truth, that's for sure. I, I wish I, I had this article still, but when I was in New Guinea, I'd noticed that the, the, New Guinea had, has two newspapers, but one major one called the post Courier goes throughout the entire nation. That's their, their main newspaper. And, and I noticed on the Saturday edition, they had a religious section in, and there were several different missionaries that put articles in. So I emailed, that they had the guy's email on there, who was in charge of that section, was right on the newspaper. So I shot him an email. I said, hey, I would like to do an article for that. And he says, well, go ahead and write something up, and I'll, and I'll let you know. And so at the time... And it's probably still true there, but there was this fairly, at the time, new movement. Been there maybe ten years or so, maybe a little bit longer than that. I'm not exactly sure of the start of the origin, but it exploded in the nation. Nation. It was a church unique to PNG, and it was called Revival Church. All right, Revival Church. It was charismatic, of course, and but they had one focus. Acts two thirty-eight. Their hats. Revival Church. Acts two thirty-eight. Their shirts. That they put out everywhere, only one verse, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38. I mean, that was their, that was the verse, the theme verse for the entire group. And yes, they preached strongly. You have to be baptized in water for salvation or you're going to hell. And they were strong preachers. I'd hear them preaching at the market and those guys were going at it. I mean, they would just be aggressive and strong. And so, and this was just at its height. So I decided, alright, first, so I wrote it up. I wrote, I, I wrote basically an exegesis of Acts 2.38. Here's what Acts two thirty eight really means, and then I sent The religious editor sent back. He goes. He goes. Oh, I like this. He goes. Send me pictures. <laughs> and so I sent pictures just of baptisms. All right. So I believe in baptism. By the way, you're not going to mock me. I baptize people. And so I sent him some pictures of baptizing, and he did a full page on it. Bam. Full page on it. Acts two thirty eight. I was so happy. I saved for for some reason. I only saved one copy of it. I don't know why. Should have been like everybody else, went and bought 500 or something like that and mailed it home to mom. I bought one copy. My daughter, Heather, used it for her birdcage. The bottom of her birdcage. So, it was, apparently wasn't that good of an article in her mind. But anyhow, what I'm getting to is what happened on the next coming days. They have those, uh, what is it, the editorials when you're writing? Oh, oh wow. Packed just packed with revival church people, just blasting it. I mean, just, I mean, it was just all, all angles that were, that were coming at it. And, and again, I, I don't think I did that in that case. I think that was necessary. If I had to do that again, I would definitely do that again. But nonetheless, when you are around somebody and you have to use wisdom, don't let them just trample truth. It's not hard to discern who wants truth and who doesn't. It's not. It's it's easy to see who's there just to mock it, and who isn't. And, and, and by the way, don't make a don't come in with a presupposition into who you think is going to mock and who isn't. That's not the that's not the truth. I'll finish with this, and I do need to bring this doctor. I need to contact him. I need him to come here and just at least give his testimony that I met in New Guinea, because had you met him, European man grew up in England, his wife grew up in Scotland. I've talked about them. This is a couple I used to love to have them over for dinner and get them to fight. Their accents would come raging. It was, it was, it was enjoyable. And, uh, um, but they both show up in New Guinea as atheists. Right? And so I heard we had a doctor in And he was going to stay for several years. He ended up staying for only three months. And, but he was going to stay for several years, and we hadn't met, he'd been there for several weeks, but the news was, we actually have a real medical doctor in at our aid station. And so I was at the aid station doing visits, and of course, we started to pass each other on a walkway outside, and both of us stopped, and he goes, you must be the missionary. I said, you must be the doctor. And, uh, and immediately he said, I'm a Christian. And he had this English accent, and I said, I said, well, that's great, I said, I said, to be honest, I haven't met too many European men that have hit me straight up and said, by the way, I'm a Christian. And I said, I said so tell me, when did you come to know Christ? And uh, oh, his testimony was just one of the best I've ever heard. I loved listening to it. Talked to how he showed up in the country as an atheist. He said, I was doing medical work on the main island in, in one of the highlands regions. I don't remember which one. Remote area, like where he was now. And he said, there was a missionary family there. And he said, I could not believe they were living here permanently. I couldn't believe it. He goes, I thought they were... And he told me that. He said, the only thing I knew of Christians, this is what he said, is what I saw on a television. He said, I thought you all were nut jobs. You know who he saw? Like Benny Hinn and all those guys. That's all he saw. And he said, but then I got to know this guy. Because when you are there in that remote location, you have somebody that has any commonality with you, you gravitate to each other. And so he said, I got to know him. And this is what he said. And it was funny. He goes, he was normal. (laughs) And it genuinely surprised him. He was a normal person. And he said, when I began to realize he's giving his life for this, this guy really believes it. And then when he heard the gospel, he understood why, and he put his faith in Christ. Amazing. And then the Lord sent sent him to New Ireland. And he would travel all the way out to work in Kutu to the primary work I had. He would travel out with his family, that one hour drive, to come to church. <clears throat> listen, don't think ahead of time that you know who wants to hear who's not. You'll know once you get into the truth, you're going to know pretty quick. You're going to know pretty quick. It's not hard. It's not hard. But listen, the main point of this is tonight is, listen, the Lord has given us truth. We have it. The first thing you're to do with it, though, is to use it on your own heart. Lord, examine me. Then you will be able to effectively help others that are struggling. Because you can approach it from a place of compassion. Because you're going to know, boy, did I need grace. I know how wicked I am. It's not approaching the person from a self-righteous attitude. It doesn't get very far, does it? But when you can approach it with compassion and say, listen, I need to help you with this. Oh, it's much more effective. Don't get me wrong. They still have to break down the, the rebellious heart that we all tend to have. That still has to come down for repentance to take place. But boy, it's so much more effective when you're working in that spirit of meekness. Spirit of meekness. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Again,